0: Welcome into the Wednesday Bible Study. Uh, we're excited that you are here. My name is Rick Burgess, co-host of the Rick and Bubba Show, which explains the studio if you're watching, uh, but also director of TheManchurch.com, a men's discipleship strategy, which features small group Bible studies like the one that's going on inside this room, uh, and uh, but also uh, gatherings uh, of men and services and and, and events uh, for the high challenge and then putting them into our curriculum in these small groups uh, for the high equipping. So uh, let me make you aware of a few things that are going on, and then we're going to jump right into to today. If you are trying to find past Bible studies, I didn't even know this, that we we had it set up this way, so that's on me. Of all the options I've given you, this is by far the simplest. If you go to themanchurch.com, and there's a media button at the top. I, I didn't even know this until I was piddling with the website last week. There's a media button, and if you click on that media button, you can either watch the archives of all the YouTubes. They're lined up in there one right after another, even in the groups, or you can listen uh, to the audio archives. So that's the best, the simplest way to go get the archives is themanchurch.com. Click on Media. If you want to ride and listen to it in the car or we prefer the audio, click Listen. If you want to sit down and watch it, uh, then click Watch. And there you go. I didn't even know we had that. So that's, that's much simpler. Uh, so uh, we are in the book of, uh, of Revelation. We are in Chapter 2. Uh, today we will be going to the next letter. We've done three letters of the seven churches, uh, and today we'll get into letter four, uh, the church in Thyatira. There it is. Everybody was looking forward to me trying to say that today, Thyatira, and we'll talk more about that. A couple of man church opportunities out there uh, coming up this week. If you're watching on the February the what's today, the eighth. On the eighth, uh, coming up Friday night, the tenth, Bremen, Georgia. Rich Wingo will be there and we would suggest that you bring someone. Uh, also, on February the 11th, Jordy Henson will be at West Mobile Baptist Church. They're doing more of a breakfast, uh, kind of a brunch, kind of a lunchy thing uh, during the day on Saturday. Jordy Henson's there. Uh, that, that church has been in our strategy for a while, so they're in a second curriculum, and this is their next man church. Blake Prime will be kicking off the men's discipleship strategy in Huntsville, Alabama on the 16th of February. That'll be at Hopetown Church. That's only 10 months old, brand new church, and Tim Ashley, who's on our team, actually planted that church and is the pastor. So Blake Prime will be kicking it off there. Uh, The Prove Yourself a Man uh, 2023 conference at Shipley, Florida, at First Baptist Church in Shipley. Rich Wingo and Scott Dawson will be there on the 17th. Also on the 17th, No Limit Church is kicking off the strategy. Andrew Varavutis will be there in Valley Grand, Alabama. That's near Selma. If you're traveling into Oxford, Alabama, February 24th and 25th for the Sold Out Men Church Conference, we're getting fired up and can't wait to see you. We also will be launching a brand new resource, a 31-day devotional called Transformed that we are jacked about. So that, that'll be kicked off that weekend, and then it'll be available when I, we get back the, the following week. And then on the 26th of February, Blake Prime again uh, in Warrior, Alabama. They, they're deep into our strategy in year two or three. And uh, at Crossroads Church, Blake Prime will be at the next Man Church. Okay, so all that's at Manchurch.com. Let's open in a word of prayer and jump right into what we're studying today. Lord, thank you for today. Uh, Lord, may, may you just be glorified uh, as we study your word today, may your Holy Spirit discern this properly for us as we try to grasp very deep concepts, but also some that are that are, that are easy to understand, but then you know, kind of convicting to apply. Uh, so help us to understand what you're saying today, Lord. In your holy word, in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so first of all, every man in the room, let's say hello to our producer, Chris Adler, who has a brand-new baby boy <laughs> since the last time we were together, Ezra James. Is here, seven pounds three ounces, twenty inches long. Uh, Ezra James Adler, born last Thursday. Uh, so, uh, so the last when he left us last time, he, his wife's had a baby since then, and baby and mama are doing great. And Adler is tired. So good to have him here. Uh, thank you for all you do, Chris. And we're excited about what's going on with your family. Um, all right. So turn with me to the Revelation chapter two, and then let's get down to verse eighteen. Uh, the church in Thyatira. Uh, now, let's—I I love to get you a lot of background on this. You guys seem to be enjoying that, and I am too, because I kind of want to feel what's going on here. So, if you're looking at the three views of the churches, uh, and you know, you don't have to land on one. You can have a combination of of one, or you can be, you know, in the camp that says I kind of think that uh, that all these apply to in, in some way. There's the practical view. That means this is Jesus. Uh, talking uh, to a, a church at that time, and that's all it is, and we take application for what was going on in that church. If you're looking at the, the practical view, what you're going to see is the false church. You're going to see the church that tolerated sin. Uh, that would be the title of that. It, it's going to feel a little bit like last week, but, uh, but, but I'll, I'll, I'll be sure and give you the, the difference. Um, about uh, what happened last week. It does have a, an important difference. Uh, then, then if you're looking at this is uh, representing any church at any time, all churches, and these are one of the things that could be going on at any church at any given time in church history, uh, what you would look at, at it there, you would be looking at um, Sur Scerdoctalism, it's hard to say. What that means is the, the, the doctrine that was solid, uh, sucerdoctalism, how do you say that? What what solid doctrine is now being diluted uh, by paganism, false doctrine, idols, Baal worship? It's it's like taking uh, solid theology, solid doctrine, and taking paganism in the world and just mixing them together. So so that that's that's what the word that I can't pronounce means. So if you're looking at any church anywhere, and and we have that going on, there's no question. Uh, in churches today we'll give some examples of that if you're looking at it from a prophetic point of view that these are different church ages then you would look at this as representing the rise uh, of, of the of the catholic church uh the 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 papal church uh you're gonna you're gonna that's what this would be if you looked at it as an age that's the age we would be in uh with this church so the lord jesus uh, called his church uh his bride we, we, we've seen that that's that is the analogy that's why this attack on marriage is so uh, important for us to look at it now because the adversary in Satan is attacking something that, that, that God has deemed to be so holy. It's even his analogy of him and his church. He is the bridegroom. We, we the church, we are his bride. And you see throughout Scripture, and you see throughout the Revelation, and you have seen this even with his people before the new covenant, before the church age, you saw him saying this to his people in the Old Testament, that they should they they they're acting like an unfaithful bride. Uh, he 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 uses a, a word that is, is very offensive about the people when they started you know, going after other gods and they were not being faithful to him and they were not being loyal to him. And we see this in the church age. Jesus has said to his bride, "You must be holy and you must maintain a level of purity dealing with sin in the midst of the church." And we are given clear instructions. I referenced this last week, but it's going to be even more prominent in this letter to this church, is Matthew 18, 15 through 17. I want you to jot that down because I believe that we should become very, very familiar that the Scriptures have given us clear instruction on how we are supposed to confront sin in a fellow believer's life. Now, this is where everybody gets confused. It's important that we don't get confused here. We do not judge the lost. That is not. We are not given that authority. Now we can certainly look and say, "Well, that person appears to be lost based on the things that we're seeing." But we don't. We don't judge the lost. We can stand in opposition to the lost and say, "We stand with God, uh, and we're not against you. We're just for Him." But God is dealing with their eternity, not us. Okay. And honestly, you don't see there. W- there will eventually be wrath if they do not repent. But the anger stirred in God toward the lost, really when the lost act lost and when the lost participate in perpetual deliberate sin, they're not being inconsistent. They're lost. They've never made a claim to be redeemed. They may reject the plan of redemption. They may reject the, the existence of God. So their lives actually are consistent. What what he wants us to deal with in Matthew 18, 15 through 17, and he's told the leaders of the churches and the congregation of the church, we are to confront sin in the lives of those who claim to be redeemed and part of the church. Paul makes this very clear in the first letter to the Corinthians. He says we are called to judge the church, and that's what Jesus is going to be dealing with with this church. They're not doing that. But on it, but to a much larger degree than last week, in, uh, at, at, at Pergamum, so he says that he calls the church to maintain a level of holiness for really twofold. He said first. We, we are supposed to be, and hopefully this will be the result of it, if we'll follow the instructions in Matthew 15-17 through 17 on how to confront sin within the church, he says, number one, the reason why I want you to maintain the holiness of the church, number one, is you're calling uh, sinning believers back to righteous behavior. I mean, I don't know about y'all. I, I have people in my life that have corrected me, and I'm thankful because it, it forced me back into righteous behavior because they said this is inconsistent with what you claim. And I, and I got a point to that. You wouldn't believe. I've had people, even with what I do for a living, which sometimes I, I really mess it up uh, and stumble because I'm trying to do secular entertainment and some days things get away, and And I have friends and brothers, and they'll call me up and say, hey, enjoyed listening to Howard Stern today. And I I'll say, I'll, I'll say, what are you talking about? He goes, what were you doing participating in that conversation? That that's not what that isn't the kind of conversation a man of God should be involved in. And I'm like, you know what? And and if I can't refute that, I go, you know what? You're right. Thank you for pointing that out. Hey man, that got away from me. And you know what did I do? I made the big mistake of thinking, well, that's not a big deal. Now what do we say? Sin always matters. So so uh, so I, that but they're not doing that to be mean to me. They're doing that to try to what correct me so I get back into righteous behavior. So that's that's the first reason why uh, that we're told to rem- to maintain the holiness within the church. Number two, and this is the one that I think we miss on, you know, because you probably this is sad too. You it should really be reversed. We should say that this that that caring about the person and hoping that that their their behavior will be corrected should probably be our passion number two. What is number two should really be our passion number one, and that is to purge those from the church who stubbornly cling to sin, uh, resulting in the purity of the church, that the purity of the church is maintained because of our devotion to Christ, that we love him so much that we will not allow his bride to be stained. It'll be purged if they want to cling to their sin and they will not repent and they're, and they're going to stay there and blaspheme and blaspheme. They, they, we should purge them from that, 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 that congregation to keep that congregation pure because of our devotion to Christ, not because of our hate of people. So that, that's twofold why, why we are called to that standard. So Here's examples, and you remember these? We've learned some of these, and they were severe if you want to, if you want to know how serious that Jesus Christ takes the purity of His church, there's examples right out of the gate. As soon as the Church of Acts is established, what do we find in Acts five one through eleven? We studied it. I've even got a message that I go out and and, and do man churches with this message. This is the how we gonna bear you message. And in Acts chapter five one through eleven, what do we find? God purged the church of Ananias and Sapphira. He killed them. Why? They lied about what they were given. And they were not required to give all of the money that they claimed they were given. They just wanted to get the accolades that Barnabas was getting since he gave all the profit he made on his land. They wanted to pretend to give all the profit but keep some for themselves. And boy, Peter looks at them and says, how have y'all allowed yourselves to lie to the Holy Spirit? How can you have the Holy Spirit and what y'all just did? You planned it. And, of course, his wife hadn't showed up yet. And 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 Peter says to Ananias, he said, You have not sinned against us. You've sinned against God. And God killed him. And you know what it said? And a great fear came upon the church. I bet it did. Hey, you think you you think people didn't start tithing on gross versus net? Real fast. Okay? So and then and then his wife shows up and she's in on the plan, but he's the one that taught her to to, to sin. She comes in and 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 you know, this is where you gotta have friends like I just talked about. Where were her friends? She was three hours, you know, of course, late. She was three hours behind Peter. Where were the people that ran out and said, Hey, Sapphira, if Peter asks you about this land, come clean. Don't cling to this, this scam you and your husband got going. But they didn't. And she walks in and they ask her the same question and she stays to the same scam. Bam! God kills her. So God goes on record about church discipline early. Purge the church of those that will not repent, and so then what? Where, where do we see it again? The Jerusalem Council. Remember, we've talked about our brother James that we reference a lot. Could you know we had the, we had the Jews and the Gentiles? They're inside the church, and the the Jews are trying to hang on to circumcision, and the Gentiles are trying to hang on to paganism. And that church was not pure, and Peter couldn't get it under control. John couldn't get it under control. Paul couldn't get it under control. They sent for James. He got it worked out real quick. Here's what we're gonna do. Here's what we're not gonna do. And he purged the church of what shouldn't be there. Okay, then we have uh, the Apostle Paul in the letter to the Corinthians where he gets real clear. Write this down. We studied it, but we don't have time to go through all the verses today. But go to 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5, and you will see the Apostle Paul. I mean, he is doubling down on this man that is in open. He's saying pagans don't even do sexually what he's doing. He's sleeping with his daddy's wife, and and if I could get there, y'all think y'all are being so gracious by letting this go on, but but you're, you're blinded under the pride of grace, What you really don't care about is the purity of the church. And if I could get there, I'd throw him out. I'd turn him over to the devil, and it might save his life. And so the Bible is extremely clear. Paul removed unrepented leaders from the church of Ephesus, Go to 1 Timothy 1.20. You can read that one. And what did he say to Timothy? To those leaders that were beginning to blaspheme the church, here's what Paul said. He said at the church at Ephesus, I have handed over to Satan, I've handed them over to Satan to teach them not to blaspheme. I've turned them over to Satan. They're out to teach them not to blaspheme. Despite the clear teachings of, throughout our church's history, all the way to today, we struggle. I can only speak to the West. Uh, I, I, I've visited churches around the world but but uh, but this is not a topic that we ever got into. So I can only speak to this. despite the clear teachings the church throughout history and today, especially in the West, struggle and they and, and, and not to follow a pattern, of tolerating sin in the church. Charles Erdman put it this way from the three churches prior to to this, the three letters. Ephesus, the problem they had, they were loyal to Christ, but they lacked love. Smyrna, their loyalty to Christ was tested by fire. Pergamum, they, they had loyalty that lacked moral passion. They were letting... False doctrine and sin being a small portion of the church, and they tolerated it. What you're going to have at Thyatira is much more serious. It wasn't a small fraction that had drifted, it was a large number of the church, and they were yielding to false teaching. And one particular false teacher that is going to get me email today, it's going to get me email today. Uh, This is one of those days where I have to remind you all of my email address, speedy at rickandbubba.com. Here comes – so the character of the seven churches, other than Philadelphia, uh, as we move, Philadelphia is going to all of a sudden come out of nowhere, and and we're going to say, wow, the trend stopped here. But other than Philadelphia, it's becoming more and more influenced by evil as every letter goes out. You're going to see Laodicea where it's all going to come together. Philadelphia is going to give us a break and we're going, to, we're going to learn how it ought to be done. But then when we get to Laodicea, this is just going to continue to get worse. So the church had slipped compared to the, the, the two prior. Smyrna had faced hostility from the synagogue of Satan. Pergamum had, had existed at the site of Satan's throne, but Thyatira had plunged headlong into the very depths of Satan's deception. It's one thing for us to look over at Smyrna and they're in the middle of Satan's throne being persecuted. It's one thing to look at Pergamum and, think, and say, "Well, you know, they had they had a small uh, faction there that that they needed to deal with." What you're going to see at Thyatira, the depths of satanic deception was covering almost all the church. It, it it was taking over, and 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 Jesus Christ is not happy. So let's talk about the church. Uh, Here's some of the theories on the actual church. Uh, Acts 16, 14 mentions a woman named Lydia. We're familiar with her when we studied Acts. Lydia uh, was uh, was from Thyatira. Uh, she sewed the purple fabrics. Remember that? She was a worshiper of Christ. She was converted under Paul's ministry at Philippi. Some think that that this church may have started in her home, that that's possible. But more commentators say, eh, maybe but it's more likely that the church was was pretty s- simple. It was just founded in Paul's outreach at Ephesus. It's just a church he planted, and he was he was he was doing this out of Ephesus, and, and he ended up planting a church at Thyatira, um, and so uh, and you find that in Acts nineteen ten. If you want to make a note of that, so let's talk about the city a little bit. Uh, it was in the northern part of the seven cities, about forty miles from Pergamum. I mean Pergamum. Uh, it was built uh, on in relatively flat country. Not, not not a lot of, and this is going to be a problem for them. It didn't have many uh, natural fortifications. And and if you look in history, Thyatira was it was the gateway to Pergamum, which we talked about last week. And here's what they were supposed to do before the Romans took it over. They were supposed to de- delay any attackers that were headed for Pergamum. But because they didn't have any natural defenses, they were they were defeated and conquered, and they couldn't hold on very long, and they were destroyed and rebuilt over and over and over again because they really had no way to fortify themselves. Uh, but in 190 B.C., the Romans uh, finally took uh, took, it, took it over, and then, of course, they brought peace because then they would protect it. So you had the Roman Empire at that point. Uh, it flourished commercially once they got into the Roman Empire. Uh, its location actually became an asset, not a liability, because of being located on the main drag going north and south. It would be like where we're all from if you had a city set up right there on 65. You know, if you got to go north, you got to go south. You got to come by us, and so the commercially it began to grow. It also connected Pergamum uh, with Laodicea uh, and uh, and Smyrna and the interior regions uh, of the province of Asia. So it it was also uh, served as a Roman post. Uh, So when when the revelation was written, when Paul is getting this revelation and the letter for for the church at Thyatira was being written, it was actually entering into a period of its greatest prosperity. Uh, unlike uh, some of the others, it was not very important to, uh, as far as a religious center. Uh, the god that they worshipped there mainly was Apollo. Uh, that was the main god there. Uh, not a very sizable Jewish population, so they didn't get much persecution from that either. You know where their persecution came from? Unions because uh, it was commercially, they, they, they had these guilds, which were unions, and each guild, almost like, picture a mason, uh, like a lodge or something like that, all these guilds uh, had a, a patron god, and each, each one that was in that union, if you were in that union, you were required to attend and participate in the honored feast, and the feast that they had to these gods usually uh, had meat sacrifices that were given to pagan gods that they would consume them, there was all sorts of sexual immorality and cult prostitutes and things like that, and you were expected to participate in that if that if you were in that union. So that's what the the, the members of that church that's where their persecution came from, uh, and Jesus was concerned uh, that that many members of this church uh, were not handling the pressure of uh, of these feasts and these unions very well, and he's writing a letter saying I don't I don't like how this is being handled. So, uh, so that's that's where we are. Everybody ready? And this is so. Here's the letter. So Jesus begins and says to the angel of the church in in Thyatira, write the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are burnished bronze. Now, remember, John has described the glorified Christ in in every letter. He's picking one of those descriptions and saying, for this church, this is who I am. So for Thyatira, we're seeing him with eyes like a flame of fire. That's the reference he's making to himself. And feet are like burnished bronze. What he's saying, remember, about the, about the eyes, this is that thing that God has been saying back in the Old Covenant You know when his people would be going after idols, they would be blaspheming him. They would be marrying outside of of, of their of their religious convictions. Uh, they, the, and, and what would he say to the prophets over and over again? Do they not think I can see what they're doing? I see it. They're not getting away with this. I know what they're doing. Well, this is Jesus with that image. I've got these eyes of flame. And hey, Thyatira, I see what's going on, and what we need to realize, wherever we are immersed in his local church, whatever's going on in that local church, he sees it. And he says, these are those eyes I'm looking in, and guess what? My eyes, when I look into your church, Thyatira, my eyes are burning with indignation. I'm indignant about what I see there. I don't like it. And, and for us, we'd have to say, when, when those same eyes burn with flames and they look into our lives and into our church, what does he see? Because he sees it. Is he indignant? Or is he saying, well done, good and faithful servants? So his eyes also, there, there was something that he, he sees there, and his eyes see something that is going to bring his wrath. Now remember when this is, this is going on, this, this, this is that, that period of time between Constantine, we, we, that, this is about to start happening, and, and, and there's that time when all this mixing of the world and other religions and rituals is being mixed into this newfound peace over the Christian faith, and, and that, that, that's going on, and this is the time period between that starting all the way to the Reformation. So what he is seeing are the things that are going to bring the Reformation. I see the drift. This is going to require Reformation, what I see going on now. And, uh, and so the feet being bronze here, if you go back and look at all these things that, that, that John is seeing in the glorified Christ, when, he is, when his feet are bronze, that's judgment. That's what that symbolizes. So my eyes are burning into the church. And what I see is going to bring my judgment, and uh, and so then uh, he's begin he's going to start emphasizing uh, about the people in verses nineteen. So let's look at what happens in verses nineteen. He says, "I know your works, your love, and faith, and servants' service, and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceeded the first. So so when he's looking you got to be careful with this right here. And, and and not all of the theologians agree with this point, but most of them go here. There's one way to look at this, and that is I see what you're doing, and you've done some things pretty good, which we've seen with the other churches. And I know that, that, that as far as the works that you're doing and the services you're doing, you think, is this he talking about kind of like Ephesus? but But when you look at what happens next, I actually think the other point of view may hold a little more water, and that's the view of I do see your works, and i tell you what I see. I see a lot of works, but I don't see a lot of worship. I don't see a lot of worship, and and, and I am looking for worship. Our Lord God Almighty is worthy of worship, and he is looking to be worshipped. Because, look, I don't know about y'all, I've had a lot of busy work that might even seem like it's for the kingdom, but if I'm doing that busy work and at the heart of that busy work is not my worship of God then you know what it is? It's clanging, banging, remember, without the right love, without the right motivation, without me doing it to honor him. If I'm doing it to be recognized or I'm doing it because I feel obligated or I'm doing it because it's always been my culture and I do this because we've always done this for the last 150 years in our church, we still have this same old gathering and this same old thing and this same old this. It's tradition. Well, if it's not worship, it's garbage. Now, now, now we're just a spiritual social club. You know, I, I get so tired of hearing. Look, if you if you're saying this is the way we've always done it, fine. If it's always glorified God, but to do it just because you've always done it, and that's the only reason, that may not be the best motivation. It needs to be examined. You know, well, people get. A, I, I'll never. I'll not. To this day, I have never forgotten. This day, I was hounded by someone one time about not doing the men's breakfast when we started trying to rethink the the stuff that we were doing at, at my home church and when we were starting implementing what has now become themanchurch.com. And I remember vividly that somebody got on because we weren't doing the prayer breakfast. And I'm not against prayer breakfasts if they're there to honor God. We, we do one at my home church, and it's very successful. And 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 and, I, and we've seen God move in it. But in this particular case, we were reworking how it was done, and I got hounded by this guy. Why are we not doing the prayer breakfast? Why are we not doing the prayer breakfast? And I finally, said, this is the this is the the thing. Usually, guys bring their kids to. I said, okay, all right, well, let's do it. So I go out, I get the budget for the food, I go get, I go find us a good speaker. You know, I bring I bring a, a guy in that you know is, is 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 got some celebrity to him. Everybody loves that at a prayer breakfast. Uh, he also had good theology, which is sometimes we don't seem to care about that. But but I wanted to be sure that that I that we did get that right too. Great man of God, he comes up. Okay, I walk into the prayer breakfast. Guess who's not there? Guess who didn't come? The guy who hounded me about it. How long till I pick the phone up? How long? I said, I got to make a phone call out in the parking lot. He answers the phone. I said, where are you? Well, you know, I had something come up. I'm going to see so-and-so. I had this thing. I said, wait, you're not coming? Well, I mean, y'all, I just I, I, I had conflict. I said, well, let me tell you this. When I leave, y'all may have another one. But as long as I'm here, there'll never be another prayer breakfast. I said, I promise you there won't be another one. And and, and I said, now after I go, if God calls me somewhere else, and I'm not there anymore. So y'all can have it again. But I, but I said, but until I go, there won't be one. I said, I cannot believe this. You're the one that hounded us about this. You know what it was? It wasn't any kind of. If it had been something holy, or some form of worship, he'd have been there. It was tradition. And you know what I think about tradition? I got other plans today. Right. The guys who come to this every single Wednesday and have been coming here for nearly 10 years, you know why they don't miss? And I'm not talking about you're sick and I'm not talking about you got con- real conflicts, but they don't miss just because they didn't feel like it that day or didn't get around to it. And you know why? Because it's a priority. It's on their calendar and people ask them about Wednesday at noon and you know what they say? I can't because I got Bible study Wednesday. Not I'll go to Bible study in case I don't have anything. And so that's the way tradition starts. This is not a tradition. If you're coming here out of tradition, then you've got to change that. This is about getting refined by the Word of God. This is about growing. okay? And so he's looking, and he says, I do see these works, but what I don't see is I don't see worship. I see you doing deeds. I see you doing dead works and judgment. Listen to this. This is great. And we always think it's the other way around, don't we? Man, we love to get on our high horse about sins we don't struggle with about that evil world out there, that evil world. God's judgment is coming on that evil world. Certainly true if they don't repent, but you know where judgment always begins? In the house of God. In the house of God. And Jesus is about to make that extremely clear. So now we're going to find out what he is really upset about. Okay, and here he goes. But, that's a terrible word there, but... I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, underline that, but she refuses to repent for her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed And those who commit adultery with her I will throw into into great tribulation unless, underline this, they repent of her works. 23, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches minds and heart and will give give to each of you according to your works. Not happy. So here's what he says. The problem here was not external. That's important. You think it wasn't evil outside in Thyatira? Jesus is not even addressing that. This problem is internal. It's inside my church, and I don't like it. Second Peter, we just had a conversation earlier, one uh, uh, of the brothers here and I, before talking beforehand. I said, I really sense right now where we are with all the things that are going on in this period of, of the Western church the outside persecution, we don't have a whole lot of that. Churches around the world do. We really don't, but we have Second Peter, and he said, "But you got a bigger problem coming." The outside persecution kind of draws us together, kind of refines us. We depend on each other. We depend on Him. He said the problem is this internal. Now you got false doctrine rising up within the church, and that's going to be a bigger problem for you. Satan's going to be more successful with that. Every time Satan tries to, you know, torture the church, it really thrives. It's when the church gets laid back and gets all of its programs going, all of its traditions going, and all of a sudden start to tolerate false doctrine within the church, that's when he really makes ground. And Jesus is about to purge this church, and as we should purge all churches that have the same problem. So he says, number one, and here's where here we go. Here comes the email. Number one, there is a woman teaching and preaching, and she should not be because she's a woman. Shouldn't be happening. I know. I, I can feel it. I can. You. You, you can go. You can go to First Timothy chapter two, verses twelve through fourteen. Uh, a woman is not to be in a headship position inside the church teaching men. Children, fine. Other women, fine. Not men. And uh, and and so to compound the error, not only is a woman teaching, she's teaching error. And Jesus says, "I got a real problem with this." Now, there's a lot of commentary that the woman's name was not Jezebel. Okay, he's calling her a Jezebel, which that's a Jezebel spirit, which goes back to Ahab's wife, who was the one of the most wicked women to ever populate the earth, uh, and so much so that I mean, here's how evil she was. Elijah kills hundreds of the prophets of Baal with a knife, which, by the way, that's not quick. Okay, and I wonder how so many of them got killed. Did none of them run? I mean he just got a knife. Somebody run. But anyway, so when he starts slaying the prophets of Baal after 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 God has shown himself, this is a great moment of victory. Then he finds out Jezebel's after him and he's scared. So scared he runs. This is how wicked she was. It also shows how scary women can be. Okay? But 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 he but he's running, okay? And so when a woman is evil like this, they would call her Jezebel. She's a Jezebel. There, Even to this day, a demonic spirit called the Jezebel spirit that enters into women who, try to, who to try to move and push themselves into places that they're not supposed to be. They try to undermine the headship of their husbands. Not husbands who aren't doing the job. I'm talking about trying to undermine the leadership of men in the church and in their house. It's a Jezebel spirit. I want to run things. I want to take over, and I want to lead us down a road we shouldn't be on. I've become the spiritual leader of the house. I've become the spiritual leader in the church, and where I'm taking us is false doctrine. And that's what's going on here. And, uh, and Scripture teaches that women um, you know, are to never be in headship over men and because it also teaches, whether we like or not, men and women are equal, but they're not the same. Women, because of the way they are made, which is why there's a spiritual headship that's given to the man, they are susceptible to error in spiritual things. I've seen it time and time again. My wife is a powerful, powerful woman of God, but there is a, a female emotion that is that many times is manipulated by the spirit when it's an evil spirit. And, uh, and you got to be careful when people start declaring they're prophetesses and they're going to say something over you. And we've had this happen. You think Sherry and I had not had people come up claiming they're prophets and prophetesses and, and they can see spiritual things and want to tell us this? And, hey, you got to watch these people. Okay? you got to watch these people. And, uh, and they'll always flatter you and all this kind of stuff, but, man, they can't be trusted. You watch all that now. Uh, especially when they start saying things you can't quite find in Scripture. So that's what was going on. And and again, we think the Jezebel reference is to the Old Testament evil woman, the wife of Ahab, uh, clearly an agent of Satan. Uh, And this woman is leading his bond servants. He even says that she's leading my people, those that have been redeemed by me, to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Leading followers of Jesus into false doctrine or immoral living is a very serious sin. And how about this? It is mentioned by Jesus that it must receive severe punishment. Now, a lot of times there's nothing wrong with with this, but it's not really theologically accurate. I've heard many people reference this. I referenced it before I learned it. That when Jesus is in Matthew 18, 6-10, talking about causing little ones to stumble— And everybody thinks that's the abuse of children. Certainly that can be applied, and God hates the abuse of children. That's not really what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about those that are new to the faith, and people who teach them false doctrine and actually lead them away from him. He says to those people it would be better that you had a millstone tied around your neck and you were tossed into the ocean. That's not really about children. It's really about spiritual children and those that are in the church that don't know much yet, and you come into their life and teach them the wrong things, or you went in to manipulate them on purpose like this woman and try to lead them away from Christ. That's really what he's talking about there. And we also see this, again, uh, if you want to make a note of 2 Kings uh, chapter 9, 30-37, you'll see Jezebel's death, and it's gruesome. It's going to involve dogs, I just want to warn you. Uh, but anyway, so so uh, you will see that God finally has enough of her, and it is ugly. Uh, so, so then let's look at what he said in verses 21. This is beautiful. This is God's grace. Look what it says in 21. Don't miss this. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. So, what we see here, if Jezebel would have repented, or the woman he's calling Jezebel, if she repents, he'll forgive her. See, there's nothing, I mean, he said, I'm giving, the reason why I haven't taken her out yet is because of my grace. I'm giving her an opportunity to repent, and she won't do it. And listen to what he says. That's why you got to notice, notice what's going on in the churches right now. Repentance is leaving. You don't hear it talked about a lot. But exactly what he's saying is what I'm requiring is repentance. And if you had repented, I would have forgiven you. And here's the second part: the fact that she didn't, I'm going to take her out. So why is he going to kill her? Well, false doctrine. She's, she's in a position in the church she's not supposed to be in. Uh, and 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 but yet if she had repented, he would have forgiven her. But she won't. And so and, and, and this is going on all over the world right now. People that are openly sinning against God, and he's called them to repentance, and they won't. And as Adrian Rogers once said, the, the kind of behavior and sin that at one time was only found in the darkest shadows of the alleyway, now it struts down Main Street. Anybody see the Grammys? Uh, I didn't but, uh, because I knew what was going to happen, but, uh, but I have been shown what did happen. And and also this is what you see right now, uh, this is this is where we're headed. And and you know what he's saying? If these people repent and quit blaspheming me, I'll forgive them. But if they don't, so this universalism it kind of dies right here. Uh, so then he goes to the next thing in twenty two through twenty three. The sick bed. Listen what he says. Because she doesn't repent, make sure you got that point right. He says, behold, I will throw her on a sick bed and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, hang on to that, unless they repent of her works. Okay, so two different things. He says, for her, I'm going to kill her because she's had her shot. So the sickbed really is is uh, is 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 a, uh, is a is really showing that, that I'm going to kill her. This is going to be her deathbed. I'm going to make her gruesomely ill, and she will die, and the sickbed also will. Uh, represents the ultimate resting place for her, which will be damnation. It'll be a sick bed. It won't be a bed of rest. It'll be a bed of death. But look what he turns around and says, though. But those who committed adultery with her, I'm going to put them through a tribulation. Now, this is not the great tribulation. That's not what he's talking about. We'll get into that before we're done with our study. This is about tribulation. Jesus says in this life you will have tribulation. He's going to bring trouble on them. They're going to suffer and he says so i'm going to put them through tribulation why so they'll repent if they'll repent of her works what i'm going i'm going to i'm going to forgive them so they're going in tribulation this tribulation will continue unless they repent then it'll stop if it uh, if they don't repent then i'm going to kill them too but, but he is giving a different—he's saying they haven't had the, the time that I've given her, and they've been deceived by her, so we're going to try to teach them the right thing, call them to repentance. These are people inside the church that just got led astray. Let's take them, let's discipline them. Did you see tribulation? Let's discipline them, and then let's put them under the authority of the church and hopefully bring them to repentance and back in good standing. But if they don't, then I'm going to take them out too. I will strike her children dead. That's her spiritual children. These are the ones that don't repent. This is not her literal children. These are the ones that she has been teaching, back to the analogy of Jesus in Matthew 18, 6-10. So the spiritual children, he says, the church at this time is about 40 years old when this happens, so it's too late for her, but her followers could still repent or die. Jesus is clear on how he sees and and how he will deal with, with false prophets and false doctrine. Anybody gray on how Jesus sees false teachers, false doctrine? See, see, this is where you got to be real careful right now. The, the biggest example we see right now is we are seeing a Western church, not all of them, praise God for that, but a lot of Western churches that have gone soft on God's standard. Suddenly, I don't know when this happened, God has involved on marriage. God has evolved on homosexuality. God has uh, evolved on all kinds of things. Uh, and he's, he's evolved on gender. Uh, and this, and, and certainly you can still be coming to seek the truth, but what we're hearing is the false doctrine of, well, there's no need to change. God is fine with just the way you are. As a matter of fact, he's probably changed his mind. We're, we're, we're now referring to, like I said, to Romans 1, to, to what Leviticus has to say, 1 Corinthians 6, we're, we're referring to these sins as now clobber verses. They make people feel bad. Well, yeah. They're also giving us clarity. And and, and we see people say now we'll marry same gender inside the church. Women can be pastors. Women can be uh, in headship over grown men. We, we just don't think God's holding to that standard anymore. And, and so we're going to evolve a little bit with our doctrine, and we're going to evolve in our church and that is no different, and what Jesus is seeing right now at Thyatira, it's no different. He would be looking in, saying, "I'm looking into the church right now. When did y'all start marrying two men? When did y'all start marrying two women? Who taught y'all this? Who's in charge? Who's teaching this? And and those of you who are now buying into it, repent or die." I mean, that that's what he's saying. So all the churches, I love that when he says that. Look, he says, and after I'm done with this, after I kill her, after I put the, the ones who were led astray through tribulation, and they will either repent, and I'll, I'll take the tribulation away, or they won't repent, and I will kill her children. And look at the next line. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I'll give to each of you according according to your works. You know what he says? I bet the word gets out to the other churches. You think it did? You heard what happened at Thyatira? Tower Tower? You remember that woman they had preaching all that stuff and pagan rituals and doing the sex acts and all that with all the different unions and the guilds over there, and she said it was okay, that God didn't mind, You know he'll forgive us anyway? Yeah, you remember that? Yeah, man, people were talking about she stuff. God killed all them. What? Oh, he killed that woman. What about the the people that she was teaching? Well, some of them are okay; they repented, be killed. The rest of them, he said, all the churches will start talking about this, and they'll know that whatever's going on in their church, I see it too, and I'll deal with it the same way. It's real serious. I mean, it's extremely serious, and and we need to be the people in inside his church. That if this kind of garbage is going on, we as followers of Christ and all the men in this room and the women that are watching right now, we need to stand up not to get into arguments, not to cause factions, not to be against people, but we are to stand up and say, we will stand with God and this church has to be purified. And if the leadership won't do it, you get rid of them or you go somewhere else. Because it must be dealt with. Why? Because of him because he demands a spotless bride. And to sit and let it go is to be cowardice. He's making it clear that he is deity, and the churches will take notice. And he said, there's nothing that can be hidden from me. Now, we do not know how many responded in the congregation, who, who repented, who didn't. We don't know. But here's the sad part. Apparently, the church as a whole did not heed the warning. Now, Rick, how do you know that? Well, I'll tell you why. Church history tells us this church um, uh, fell prey uh, to the the Montanist. Do you all know them? It was a heresy that came along. So uh, a group came in, did the same thing the Jezebel woman had done. They all fell for that too. And it was a movement that was led by a false prophet. It's M-O-N-T-A-N-I-S-T, Montanist or Montanist. And it's another false prophet, and he claimed that he had a continuing revelation from God. That y'all know some of that's out there too, right? We got people claiming to be Christians. I got a whole nother book, a whole nother revelation. That that some guy started a cult and said that Jesus told him some new things. It's not another denomination. It's heresy. Okay. Wonderful, nice people. They better be, based on the doctrine, or they're not going to do well. But it that's false teaching. What we're studying right now is the final revelation, and he's going to make that real clear at the end. But this was another movement where a prophet said, hey, I got some new things that God told us that y'all don't have. And this took over the church so much uh, that the church vanished by the end of the second century and was never heard of again. So apparently, a big revival did not happen. But he he purified his bride, though. They were just removed. So now look at uh, 23B. We'll start there. 23B, I will give to each of you according to your works. There's a word of comfort. You know what he said? If you're in there and you're the only individual that's with me, I see that. Yeah, I, I'm not going to get you. I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to take you out with the rest of them. I know. I know what your heart is. I know you were faithful to me. Because how many times you ever felt like I, I, I can't control what other people are going to do, but we can control what we're going to do. He says. So I'm going to be handing out what I hand out according to who you are and to your works, and I know them. So according to your deeds, the innocent will not be punished with the guilty, and I know all that that that, that every single person. Right now, we need to know that if God comes into the church congregation that you and I are in, whoever he kills, whoever he takes out, and whoever he removes, he is correct. His judgment is just. It, it was correct. So there'll never be anybody says, well, I don't know why he took so-and-so out. I thought he was solid. Now, if God took him out, he probably wouldn't because God knew something about him you didn't know. He's always going to get it right. So now he gets to the final command. And here's what he says in 24 and 25. But the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Hold fast to what you have until I come. So what is he saying there? Look, I know y'all been burdened by this. There's a lot of y'all there. Y'all can't believe the state of your church. You ever been in a church like that? Burdened by where it is. I know you're burdened by it, and I know this movement has been miserable for you, and and, and I'm ruling because you stayed true to me that the burden of this movement is burden enough. And he says what he says to us right now, man. This, this just started making my eyes sting. He just says, hold on till I come get you. Just hold on. I know this is hard. I know it's tough to stand for me when nobody else will. I know it's tough to stand for me and people turn on you. Your own family turns on you. I know it's hard to be ridiculed. I know it's hard to be called... Uh, you know that you're evil and not loving because you've, you're holding on to what I said. People are saying you aren't gracious to Jezebel and and you were mean to those people that blaspheme me and and they say you're the problem. You're the one that's wrong. Why weren't you more loving? When all you were doing is you were being true to me. Well, this the, this persecution from everybody being mad at you because of me is burden enough. Just hold on till I make this right. I say that to every one of you in here. Just hold on. He's going to make all this right. Don't don't turn on him. Don't be be led away. Cling to what is good, Romans 12, 9 says, until I return. Cling to what is good, until I return. Then he counsels us a little bit in verses 26 through 29. The one who conquers. Boy, we're seeing that a lot, aren't we? The one who keeps my works until the end. To him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earth earthen pots are broken into pieces, even as I myself have received the authority from my Father. The one who overcomes, the one who shows steadfast obedience, the ones that are genuinely my followers. Not the ones, like I said in Matthew 7, that say my name a lot, but I look into their life and I do not see them doing the will of my Father. I don't see them practicing what they claim to believe. They do not have the fruits of my presence in their life, the works and the deeds they're doing and putting tie my name to it. I don't even know who they are. They're evildoers. He said, I'm not talking about them. What I'm talking about are those of you that do the will of my Father. I'm talking about those of you that are going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. I'm talking to you the overcomer, the one that does not fade. The the mark of a genuine follower of Christ is always steadfast obedience. Steadfast obedience. Not to earn salvation, but as the result of salvation. And if you and I are one of those, if you and I are one of those, he says two things he promises. Authority over the nations. Those of us that overcome will rule over the nations with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces. We'll rule with him. Psalms 2, 7 through 9 is talking about participation in the millennial kingdom. Those who remain faithful to Christ despite being beaten and despised in this life will rule with him in his earthly kingdom. We'll talk about that more as we get to the end. And then look what he says next. And I will give him the morning star, Daniel 12, 3. You know, Daniel always parallels the revelation. But, you know, Matthew mentions it too in thirteen forty three. The true disciple will reflect Christ's glory. The morning star, of course, is Christ himself. We'll see this later in the revelation in chapter 22. Second Peter 1.19 references this as well, if you want to make a point of that. You know what he says? For those of you that overcome, you will receive me, Jesus, in my fullness. I'll give you the morning star. I'll give you me. 1 Corinthians 13.13 says, Now we know in part, but we will know him fully. That day is coming. And Jesus says to the overcomer, you will have me in my fullness. And then he says this, what? When he gets real personal, he who has an ear, verse 29, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You know what he's saying here? Don't miss my message. Have you ever had somebody tell you something? They go, look, don't be distracted because I can get real distracted. What I'm telling you right now is real important. Don't miss this. If you miss this, it's going to be to your peril. I remember that the time I went to one of the, the the driving schools. There was a lot of things they talked about that weren't, weren't important. But then they got down to strapping me in and, and telling me how to take the first turn coming up. They're like, now what I'm saying now is really important. Don't miss this. And I thought, I bet this could be bad. And Jesus is saying, here's what I don't want you to miss. The seriousness of practicing and tolerating sin. God will judge the unrepentant sinner. He who has an ear, listen to my message. Two, there's a pattern of obedience that marks true disciples of Christ. Listen when I say that. Look at your lives and see if you see a pattern of obedience to me. Three, God's gracious promise to his own, in spite of our struggles with sin and even error in churches, those who repent will be forgiven and those who do not will receive divine judgment. He who has an ear, let him hear what I'm saying. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this message. And, um, and Lord, I, I just pray that—I do pray for the purity of your bride. I, I do pray, Lord, that, uh, that, we're, that, that we are raising up a generation of men in this room and a generation of, of men and women that watch and listen around the world that will be as indignant about sin within the church and in our own lives as you are. And, Lord, I pray for the purification of your church. And, Lord, help us that, that right now look around and, and, and we get called mean things that are meant to be mean, fundamentalists. You think the Bible has no error and we're mocked left and right. Help us, Lord, to hang on and, and never compromise you just so people might be more accepting of us and that we do hang on, hang on to what is good, hang on to what is pure, Hang on to what is true, no matter how loud the world screams. And we're steadfast and faithful until you come, or until our earthly body dies and we step into your presence. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for being with us.